James Smith Show podcast. How is everyone doing? Recording on a Monday in the middle of a damn hurricane. A hurricane is like hitting within the next 24 hours of where the studios are. So a little touch and go down here, but we are getting this podcast out to each and every one of you. Took a little break last week. Took a nice little break. Much needed. Uh, hopefully you didn't miss me too much. I have no clue what you could have possibly been listening to when I'm not on the airwaves. So this, uh, this episode is going to be a little different. The only similarity is that it is, of course, presented by MacCard, MacCard, Anderson & Associates, PLLC. But usually we go through this and we do the whole topical news thing where we're just talking about the news, man. We're talking about the news. But recently, and recently as in last night, I was told to watch The Social Dilemma. So a friend of mine who, a dear friend of mine who listens to the podcast, uh, he he ref- recommended, I almost said referended, he recommended that I watch The Social Dilemma. And when he, he called me and we talked about it briefly, and he was saying that, you know, we we kind of talk about this stuff on the podcast or have talked about a lot of the issues brought up in The Social Dilemma. The Social Dilemma, by the way, is a Netflix documentary. It's about an hour and a half long. It is really good. I watched the whole thing last night. But he was saying that, you know, I've covered a lot of this before. And, you know, since January, when we started this whole journey, we've touched on a lot of the stuff hit in um, The Social Dilemma. And and they kind of go more in depth. And I thought, you know, while it's on everyone's mind and while The Social Dilemma is, is popular right now and people are watching it and paying attention to it and tuned into it, it's a good time for me to take a whole podcast or maybe even multiple podcasts and really kind of lay this out for you. And I think I'm in a very interesting position to do so, and I'll explain that as well. But I just wanted to kind of lay that out. So this episode will be all about my belief and not not the social dilemma. I want to make that I want to make that really clear. I'm not going to talk about the show or the movie that much. I'm going to talk about what they bring up and what we've brought up and just my overall thoughts, feelings, predictions, whatever, kind of how I see everything's playing out around us. So I just want to kind of let you know the track that we're going on here. I'm going to try and keep this an hour max like usual. There's a lot to get to. I mean, this is a really big topic. So this may be a two-part thing. If it is a two-part thing, we'll cut it off at the hour mark and we'll pick up and I'll release that later this week and we'll do that just to get it all out, all out there. So there you go. Before we get into it again, I don't want to be like breaking up in and out of the of the combo of the flow. So before we begin the show, guys, MacHard, MacHard, Anderson Associates, PLLC, they've been our incredible sponsor uh, for most of this year, and they have worked with us and we've worked with them to give y'all the best show on the the newswaves, really, um, the best show possible. So I do appreciate them. Uh, it, it's uh, it's been a beautiful partnership. And uh, I thank them very much for believing in this product and uh, supporting us. I would not let them be a sponsor unless I believed in their product. And guys, I'm, I promise you, if you are looking for any kind of lawyering needs, and if you are, and it's not just a lawyer, it's not just a situation where you need to sue the holy hell out of somebody. I mean, we're talking car wrecks, 18-wheeler collisions, wrongful death, bad faith insurance claims, fire loss, termite damage, offshore injuries, employment discrimination, and contract business disputes. This shit happens. Like, bottom line, this stuff happens. Car wrecks. Uh, my sister was just in a car wreck, and uh, she's okay, but, I mean, it happens. 18-wheeler collisions. I was I was driving down the street. It wasn't an 18-wheeler, but I was driving down the street today, and a, a lady had hit a biker, like a cyclist. And I don't know if he was okay or not, but... 
you know, and then we're in a hurricane situation, you know, fire loss, natural damages, termites. When this kind of stuff happens to you, you do not want to deal with this alone. I'm telling you. Uh, I have a family member who lost like a, like $115,000 worth of damage done by termites. You know, so when you have this kind of stuff happening to you, it can be very scary. And you cannot know where to turn. You can look at those billboards and say, oh, I'll just call this guy. It's 15 minutes or less. I'll just, I'll just one click. That's it. Don't do that. Do not do that. I'm telling you, talk to the people who care about, who actually care about you and you are more than just a dollar figure to them. 601-450-1715, MacHard, MacHard, Anderson and Associates, PLLC, the good folk, M-C-H-A-R-D-L-A-W.com, MacHardLaw.com. It's very important to have somebody in your corner in these moments. Let them negotiate for you, represent you, litigate for you. The only office, the only firm, that's delivering seven-figure settlements in the state of Mississippi. Please give them a call if you need them. So let's talk about this. So this this is a really... So first, let me talk about why I think I'm qualified to talk about this. I am in the interesting generation where exactly half of my life was without social media, cell phones, digital media, whatever. Arguably the more important half, the developmental half, basically from 1 to 15, 16, somewhere in there. I, I, we had no cell phones, wasn't a thing, no such thing as social media, no such thing as the internet, really, for most of it. I got my Facebook account in 2005, and Facebook was before Twitter, before Instagram, all that stuff. So I'm 31, so if you're talking about 2005 to now, it's almost directly split of half and half of when I've had social media and when I have not. My first cell phone, I didn't have a cell phone until I was like probably 16 years old, somewhere in there. Uh, when I was first started to text, I, I, I was allowed to use my parents' phone to text at night, like to text my friends. And I just give them their phone back. And that's a crazy idea to even think. It's like using your parents' phone to text people. But that's how it was. On top of that, I have a background in mass media. So my, you know, my, my bachelor's degree is in this exact topic of mass media. On top of that, I have been in the machine of social media, you know, SEO, developing content, developing digital media, both professionally and as a hobby for the better part of eight years. Through those eight years, we've seen the advent of you know, Instagram and Twitter and the way that they've changed and the way people use them, live streaming, YouTube, all that stuff. So my background is suited to really dig into this. And like I said earlier, we have been talking about this for a long time. So this is something that we've been really tuned into. And I think as we go through these topics, if you've been listening to this podcast for the last six months or even half of that, then I think you'll realize too, like, oh yeah, we, we did talk about this, you know? So let's get into it, man. So the social dilemma, what is it? It is a Netflix documentary about an hour and a half long from the tech industry. And it's a bunch of former tech workers talking about what social media and what this new digital era that we're in, what is doing to the fabric of society and how it's changing people, how it's evolving uh, the dangers that that comes with. And they hit on some very topical things. They hit on fake news. They hit on uh, disinformation. They hit on the COVID, uh, the coronavirus. They hit on uh, elections, not just not just uh, America's election, but global elections. They hit on everything. 
And I want to make this clear. When I'm talking about social media or I'm talking about digital media, I'm talking about everything. I'm not talking about just like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm talking about Google. I'm talking about uh, Netflix. I'm talking about how you stream your movies and TV shows. I'm talking about how you online bank. I'm talking about how you shop for your groceries online. All that stuff. So it's it's all linked together. Now let's talk about the foundational thing. Because... A lot of this is going to be subject. A lot of this stuff is going to be opinion or theory or, you know, just kind of talking about a topic. But a lot of other stuff is not up for debate. A lot of stuff is factual. The following is factual. What actually is Google? What actually is social media? So a lot of people think it's a blog. Facebook's a blog. Facebook's a place for me to put my photos, put my uh, statuses, whatever. Talk to my friends. Keep up with people. What's Google? Oh, Google is just a place where I can search for things. What's Instagram? Oh, it's just a place I can put pictures. What's Twitter? Oh, it's a place I can put my thoughts. It's a blog. They're all disguised as the same thing. But they're all actually the same thing. They are data vacuums. That's sucking the data out of you and turning around and selling it to advertiser agencies or selling it to whoever wants to buy it to put their product in front of you. And the, and the documentary goes into this really deeply. And it makes sense, right? What does Google do? First, Google tell, has to, you have to have an account. So where you live, your age, obviously your email address, stuff like that. Then it gets your brain. The search engine is your brain. It is touching down on everything you're thinking. What's a recipe for this? Oh, he must... Or he or she must be cooking. They must like to eat this. What uh, best movies to watch, blah, blah, blah. Oh, they know what you're looking for. They know what you're doing in your spare time. If you're Googling sports, they know what you're interested in. If you're Googling uh, the latest golf clubs, they know what you're trying to buy. They know your hobbies. All those things are connected. Your job interviews, your job searches, your house searches, all that stuff. That's all plugged in there. Not to mention the private information you put into these websites. It's all being tracked. So they have your brain. They have every single bit of your brain. And they're selling it. And they're putting ads and everything right in your path. But then we go a little further. Let's go to Facebook. What does Facebook have? Facebook has you, has your information. But now it has your face, has pictures of of you throughout the years. How many of you first got a Facebook when you were 15 years old? And you have uploaded pictures, or you have pictures on there from 15, 16, 17, 18, all the way up to 30. How many of you have your own kids' pictures on Facebook? Their faces are being tracked at zero, one years old. Your face is being tracked. Facebook knows who you are. Facebook recognizes you. No, 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 James, that sounds insane. It's not insane. Facebook can tag you in photos, can it? How do you think Facebook can do that? Because it has you. It has your face stored. It knows you. It recognizes you. Think about that. Facebook recognizes you. That's a scary sentence. And that's a sentence that I don't think people rec- like realize. I don't think people realize, like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Facebook, Facebook knows who I am. And even more than that, they know what you like. Oh, James, that's crazy. How would they know what I like? They literally have a like button. They literally have you like pages. Now, let's think about it. Facebook recognizes you in a crowd. Facebook knows you like 
the movie Jurassic Park. Why? Because you liked the movie Jurassic Park on Facebook. Facebook knows you like the New Orleans Saints. They like they know you like the Atlanta Braves. They know who your mother and father are. They know what they like. They know who your sister is. They recognize your sister. They know where you work. They know everything about you. Literally everything about you. They may know you better than your friends know you because they also know everything about your family members. They know everything about your friends. They know everything about where you work. They know everything about everything. That's pretty damn scary. That's pretty damn scary. And they're turning around, and you are the product. You are for sale. They are selling all of that data. They're selling all of that data to whoever wants to put whatever in front of you. Somebody says, man, our demographic is 22-year-old men who like rollerblading and live in California. Boom. They can deliver exact, exactly that demo to the people who are selling whatever product is for rollerbladers in Sacramento. And all of a sudden, it's the perfect business model. You are the product. You are what is for sale. That is the most important part of the entire social dilemma idea is that understanding where you fit into it. You are the cattle. So when it comes to trusting Facebook or trusting social media or trusting all these things, why would you trust them? Why would you trust them? You're their dollar. They're the most wealthy companies in human history. They don't give a damn about the humanitarian side of it. They just want to keep you where you are, spitting out information so they can turn around and sell it and make trillions and trillions of dollars. So that part is, without a doubt, unquestionable. That's just a fact. That's what these companies are. That's how they were built. That's how they make all their money. That's it. You hear a lot of people say, well, how do you make money on Instagram? How do you make money on Facebook? How do you make money on Twitter? That's how. Because they have these people paying boo-coodles of money for your information. If you do not understand that simple concept, you really can't go much further into what actually is happening. You have to understand that part in order for the rest to fall into place. On my show and in, on, in real life, my friends know this, I, I always talk about this, but I always reference the Truman Show. Great movie with Jim Carrey. If you've never watched it, go watch it. It's way ahead of its time. If you've never seen the movie, Jim Carrey is in this bubble, and he has a TV show. And every single aspect of his life is controlled. Who he talks to is controlled. What he sees is controlled. He's not allowed to leave his little bubble. And the whole he's, he's basically there for the whole world's entertainment. Now, 20 years ago, or whenever this movie was made, probably, probably longer than that, this was kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, that's kind of crazy, but you know, that's, that's a stretch. Well, it's not anymore. We are living in the Truman Show because every single thing that happens to us is happening for a reason. How many times have you been talking about a product or a thing or a movie or a TV show to one of your friends or whatever, and you see an ad for it? That's exactly what would happen in the Truman Show, isn't it? That's exactly what would happen. The Truman Show producers would know that Truman wants to see an ad for whatever, so they show it to him. The Truman Show producers know that Truman would be highly 
interactive with a TV show about a certain subject, so they show them a commercial for it. That's what happens in real life now. We are in a Truman Show. We are. And even more so into a Truman Show is when you also double that with the idea of how media is now. Media is pretty much 24-7, pretty much in your household, every single thing you do. And when I say media, obviously I don't mean like CNN, but I mean like Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, and every single aspect of life right now is being monetized as media. Go on YouTube right now. Go on YouTube or Twitch right now and search anything. You'll find people cooking. You'll find people working out. You'll find people sleeping. You'll find people watching TV shows. You'll find people playing music. You'll find people playing video games. You'll find people gardening. You'll find people working on cars. You'll find people doing literally everything from every single second of the day. Every second of the day is being streamed somewhere for your entertainment. If it's not being streamed, it's being tweeted about. If it's not being tweeted about, it's being put on Reddit. If it's not being put on Reddit, photos of it are being put on Instagram and Facebook. The world right now is being recorded exactly like the Truman Show. Exactly like it. We are the stars of this show. And who's watching? I guess I guess we're watching. I guess we're all watching each other. It's scary to realize that we're there. You know, it still sounds like one of those things that's so far away. But we're there. A lot of people do 24-hour streams. On Twitch, I'm telling you, on Twitch, on YouTube, on Facebook, all three of those have streaming services. You can find people streaming every single second of every single day. That's crazy that we're there. When you think about five years ago, ten years ago, that wasn't a thing. That was not a thing. We were not inviting people into our households. We were not inviting people into our homes, into our yards, into our cars, into our kitchens, into our gyms. We weren't doing that. And now we are. Back in the day, 10 years ago, you talked to the same, what, 12 people? Now, you talk to thousands of people, whether directly or indirectly. And some people, some famous streamers, some famous YouTube people, they're talking to 30,000, 40,000 people a day. More than that on Twitter. When you see some of these people have like, 4 million impressions on their Snapchat stories, 4 million impressions on their tweets. That's engagement with an incredibly large audience. Everyone now is a walking TV. When I was in college, uh, we studied a video game called Second Life. It was a very controversial video game at the time. And remember, remember, when I was in college, we're talking 10 plus years ago. So the world was very different. But it was a game called Second Life. I don't even know if it's still active. But in this game, you had a second life. It was just a it was like the Sims, but really realistic. You had a job, you had money, you had a house, you had friends, you had a relationship, you had kids. You could you could have everything that you would have in real life, but in this game. And what happened was people started to abandon their real life for their second life. People may be in a shit job in real life, but have a dream job in second life. People may be single in real life, but have a loving wife in second life. 
You could be anything in Second Life. It took away all of the natural kind of hurdles that life gives us. You know, you could be dealt a bad hand. You could be born uh, with a, you know, anything. You could be born four foot five in real life, and you may want to be a basketball player. In Second Life, you could be, you can make your character six seven and be a basketball player. See what I'm saying? In real life, you may be bald. In Second Life, you may have a, a long, long hair and a ponytail. Whatever you want. So people started to abandon their real life, and they started to spend way more time in Second Life. They started to quit their jobs or just not show up to their jobs. They quit talking to their friends. They quit talking to their, their loved ones, and they poured everything into this fake universe. This is the next step. We are currently in Second Life. We are currently there. And what do I mean by that? I mean the alternate realities in which we live in. If you think about the world right now, and try and remove yourself from just you as the individual, and try and think about certain cases, whether they're minuscule or a lot of cases or whatever. Because you may not do this, but a lot of other people may do this. Think about how many people live on Twitter, on Reddit, on YouTube, on Twitch, and they live behind profile like eggs or fake pictures or usernames or whatever. And they may have a whole new set of friends, a whole new identity, a whole life somewhere else in that alternate reality. And this started, I would say this started around, well, this really started for me to notice was with AIM. So if you don't remember, or if you're not old enough to know what, what AIM is, AIM was AOL Instant Messenger. And this is how people started to talk before text messaging became a real thing. When I was in like 7th, 8th grade, AIM was huge. You'd get home from school, and you'd be on AIM for hours, hours, just chatting to your friends. Well, what this did was it made people comfortable with talking with people that they weren't really friends with. They would chat with girls or guys for hours, but they would never have the courage to talk to them in person. In-person conversation, the AIM conversation, were completely different. And that was the first time in my life that I saw these multiple realities where you could be a pretty shy guy, pretty normal fella, but your AIM screen name could be talking to everybody. Could be talking to anyone. It doesn't take that much courage to say, hey, on AIM. It takes a whole lot of courage to walk up to someone and say, hey, and start a conversation in real life. And it only got worse from there. Go on Twitter. Go to the replies of anything. And you'll see eggs. You'll see fake fake pictures, fake profiles. You'll see any of that. These alternate realities are where people are spending the majority of their time. Don't believe me? Go look at your phone. Go look at your time used on your phone. How much time do you spend on your phone today? Five hours, six hours, four hours? Somewhere in there? Where'd you spend it? You probably spent it on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn maybe, on YouTube, on Twitch perhaps, on emails, maybe a game, Candy Crush. Those are alternate realities. They might not seem like alternate realities, but they are detaching you from life. They are detaching you from the real world. 
People go to Instagram to go on vacation. Why why get on a plane and travel to Tahiti? I can just go on Instagram and look at it. I can go on Instagram and look at hunting or fishing. I don't ever have to go hunting and fishing. I can go on Instagram and look at anything I want to. I can go on Twitter, same deal. It's alternate realities. So that kind of leads to the question, the first question. Is social media good or bad? I think social media is, or even just the internet, is it good or bad? I think that it is probably the most powerful invention in human history. And I think it comes at a great price. We've lost a lot of us into the internet and social media. A lot of good things have come out of the internet and social media, obviously. I think it's pretty split. You could, it's like kind of like fire or something, where it's like, you know, fire, look what it gave us. But think about all the things it's taken away, you know. So I think it's a double-bladed sword. I don't think it's good or bad. I think, give you know, if it's used properly, the internet is incredible. The internet's perfect. The internet's utopia. The internet is everything at a whim. The internet is all-knowing. It's, it's You can learn anything you want. It's an encyclopedia. You can order anything and show up at your doorstep. You can find people. You can reconnect with people. You can find jobs. You can do anything. You can move anywhere. You can buy a house. You can get a mortgage. You can get a mortgage, order a pizza, talk to a friend, and uh, set up a first date all within about two hours on the Internet, all from your phone, all from something in your pocket. But this is also the portal. This phone is also the portal into that other dimension, that other reality. Now, you're going to hear the word dystopia a lot. You're going to hear the word apocalyptic a lot in the Social Dilemma documentary and also kind of what we're talking about. And that phone, that internet, is what's ushering that in. So let's get to the bad parts. What what actually is the bad part of social media? What actually is the bad part of our phones? So our phones... What they're doing to us is they're making us dopamine addicts. Every single time you get a text or a tweet or an Instagram like or a Facebook friend request or a Tinder match or an anything, when you get that notification, you get a little ding of dopamine. And dopamine is a chemical that makes you feel happy. Now, well, you can get that at a rapid rate, a very rapid rate. You can post a picture on Instagram and get 50, 60, 100, whatever, hits of dopamine in a, in a quickness. Facebook, same deal. You post something on Facebook, you're reading the comments, you're seeing the likes, you're building up this dopamine. So what happens is we become addicted to that dopamine. We become addicted to those hits. At, that, at some points, we don't even give a shit about the actual interaction. We don't even care about the Instagram post or whatever. Or the, or the Facebook, whatever is actually happening. We just care, be active, so that you can get the hit of dopamine. And we're just feeding it, fiending off of this dopamine. Now, obviously, what that, what that does is it forces us to be active and engaged with our phone. And be active and engaged with social media. Because if you're not active and, and engaged, you can't be receiving that dopamine. And everybody wants dopamine. And it's coming so rapid... And so quick, let me, let me 
have you ever played like have you ever played uh, like dice or slots or blackjack? People don't gamble to win money. People gamble for the moment when they can lose money. I've I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but there was a study done showing when people feel like the most adrenaline, feel the most alive, and they did things like jumping off a plane, uh, you know, bungee jumping riding in a car really fast, whatever. One of the highest things that they saw was when the dice is rolling on a craps table and just before the cards are flipped over in blackjack. Is that moment, the moment of hope, the moment of endless possibility. Could this be blackjack? Could this be 20? Could this be 19? Could this be 18? Could this be 17? Could this be craps? Could, could what, what could happen? Is that moment. That's why people gamble. That's why people uh, go on their phones. Because every single time they hear a notification, every single time they get a, t- a tweet or an Instagram post or a like or something, it's that moment of possibility. Who is it? What do they want? What are they saying? So every single time you touch your phone, every single time you open up an app, you have that twinge of possibility. So now we're addicted to the possibility, and the dopamine. And there's no limit. There's no entry fee. On blackjack, you got to play at the table. you got to bring money, right? It doesn't cost anything to open up Twitter. It doesn't cost anything to post on Instagram. How many times, let me ask you this, how many times have you grabbed your phone, held your phone, opened it up, went to Twitter, scrolled a little bit, Went to Instagram, scrolled a little bit, went to Facebook, scrolled a little bit, went back to Twitter, scrolled a little bit, closed your phone, put it in your pocket, waited 10 seconds, pulled it back out, and opened Twitter. I know you're guilty of it. I'm guilty of it, too. There are some times where I'll do it, and I'll I'll actually audibly say, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like, you just looked at this. I'll go, I'll open up Twitter, close it, go to Instagram, close it, go to Twitter. How many times have you done this? How many times are you watching Netflix? With your phone scrolling Twitter while your laptop is next to you playing a game or have something else going. The other week, I swear, the other week I was watching Netflix, I was playing a game on my laptop, and I was watching a YouTube video on uh, on my iPad, and I was scrolling through texting and Twitter on my phone. All at the same time. That is a dopamine flood an absolute dopamine flood. And because it's so quick, what it's doing is the old ways of getting dopamine, working out, reading a book, having a real conversation, those are gone. Why the hell would I waste time having a long-form, hour-long conversation with one person when I can text message my group chat with five, six different people and be receiving text messages from them while tweeting at the same time to my 3,000 followers. That's a whole lot quicker to get dopamine and get that fix than sitting down and talking to one person for one or two hours. And it's actually kind of sad. Next time you go to a restaurant, well, restaurants aren't a thing anymore, but next time, or just do, do, a, little, uh, do a little experiment. Go to your household or your whatever, your, your parents' household. Put your phone away. And try and have a conversation with one of your parents or a family member 
for like an hour. 30 minutes. You may be able to, to do it, but it's hard. It's hard. Because you're going to be thinking, your mind is going to be everywhere. Your mind, because we also, not only are we looking for that quick dopamine, those quick hits, we're also totally used to being able to change whenever the hell we want. We can go from YouTube, watching a 30-minute YouTube video, to Twitter, scrolling through our Twitter feed, to TikTok, back to YouTube in about 10 minutes. And we can watch five minutes of a YouTube video. We can watch 20 TikToks. We can go to Twitter or Instagram and scroll through and see all kind of stuff. So sitting down and watching a two-hour movie, that's not, that, that's not a thing anymore. Sitting down and reading the same book for an hour, that's not a thing anymore. We're too used to being able to change. There's so many times where I'm watching Twitch, and I'll close Twitch to go to YouTube. And then halfway through a YouTube video, I'll close that and go back to Twitch. My brain cannot sit still. Happens all the time. And I'm sure yours does too. That's why Netflix is so popular as well, because you can watch something, and then you can change it immediately and go watch something else. I can watch 20 minutes of Jurassic Park, and then I can switch and watch 30 minutes of a documentary. I can do whatever I want. The, it's endless. That's the simulation. To show the simulation, to show the alternate, not the simulation, the alternate reality, to show the alternate reality, Netflix is another interesting thing. So answer me this. Have you ever been watching a Netflix show and you finish the show and you go through kind of a depression? You kind of miss those people? You kind of miss your friends? Answer yes or no to yourself. It's okay. We're all friends here. We're not going to judge. I know I have. I've finished shows and I'm literally depressed for a few days because I miss the show. I just recently read a study, and recently, about six months ago, I read a study that explained why people feel that. It's called a show hole. The reason people feel that is because our brains can't decipher that that that's a TV. It just sees the faces, the emotional reactions, the conversations, the laugh, the smiling, the, the sadness, the crying, the love. It just sees it. So when we're binge-watching shows and we watch 8, 10, 12 hours of shows in two days, we're receiving nonstop cues from those actors and actresses. We're receiving everything from the love they're feeling to the fear they're feeling to the excitement to the, to the conquer to the whatever. And we're just an absolute sponge for it. We're just collecting all of this feeling, all of this emotion. And then once the show's over, it's gone. And so that feeling you feel, that show hole, that depressed feeling, that's a void of all that emotion, of all of what they're going through that you went through, that you took part in. So when you're binging nonstop, that's part of that alternate reality because you're receiving emotion that is not real. You're feeling love. You're feeling friendship. You're feeling sadness. You're feeling happiness. You're laughing. And you're feeling it with people who are not real. And you may be saying like, whoa, whoa, whoa. TV has been around forever. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Movies have been around forever. Why is it such a big deal? 
because it's so accessible and it's so much. A TV show, yeah, Seinfeld or whatever Friends was around a long time ago, but you'd watch it at 20-minute clips, 30-minute clips, maybe an hour with some commercials thrown in there. Maybe. Maybe maybe once a night you're watching, you watch one TV show a night or a week. Netflix, Twitter, TikTok, whatever, YouTube, that's all so accessible you are nonstop receiving those cues. Not to mention the binges of watching 20 hours, 30 hours of shows in, in a couple of days. I mean, how many people do you know, and you may even be one of them, that binge watch an entire show in one week or two weeks? Think about binge watching like Game of Thrones. You're talking about six seasons, talking about probably somewhere near 70 episodes, hour each, 70 hours over the course of two weeks. Spent watching that, receiving those emotions. So back to the dopamine. Back to the attention span shrinking. So now we're hooked to these devices, right? We're hooked to these devices because we want the dopamine. Now that's compounded because simultaneously the devices become a bubble. You can live completely off of your phone. Completely off your phone. If you wanted to, you could talk to all your friends. You could talk to all your family members. You can FaceTime people. You can see people. You can pay your rent, pay your bills, check your banking account, deposit money, withdraw money, shuffle money around. You can invest in the stock market. You can get a a mortgage. You can buy groceries. You can have toiletries shipped to your house. You can order anything, have it shipped to your house. Watch movies, watch TV shows. There's nothing you can't do on that phone. So now, not only is the thing that you're addicted to stimulating you beyond belief, but it's also allowing you to to complete whatever you think are your tasks. So now, it's hiding under this veil of convenience. This veil of convenience where, oh, I'm hungry for dinner. Let me just Uber Eats. Boom, let me close Twitter for one second. Let me close Twitter for one second. Let me go to the Pizza Hut app, order this pizza. Boom, I'm back on Twitter. So now you have this entire world in your phone mixed up with the alternate realities. What does that sound like? That sounds a whole hell of a lot like Second Life, doesn't it? It sounds a whole hell of a lot like Second Life. You are, con- you are doing tasks. You are completing things. You are doing what you're supposed to be doing in your real world while simultaneously still existing in that other place. While simultaneously receiving all the dopamine you could ever want. That is a complete alternate reality. So let's continue. As I said, I was part of a generation that grew up without social media, without digital media. So what happens to a generation that is born into it? What happens to a generation that always knows the alternate reality? I'll tell you what happens. They begin to invest more in the alternate reality. Much like the the people who invested more in Second Life. I would venture to bet if you took a poll of every 7th grader on earth right now, and you ask them, would they rather have a 4.0 GPA and get into an Ivy League school 
or would they rather have 10,000 followers on Twitter? I guarantee you the majority would say Twitter, and it wouldn't even be close. I guarantee you if you asked however many juniors in, in high school right now, would you rather have a job at blank, some serviceable job at the power company, whatever, or would you rather have 100,000 subscribers on YouTube? They're going to say YouTube. They are putting way more stock into that alternate reality living. And the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the fake-ass pudding. What do you mean, James? In The Social Dilemma, they talk about depression and suicide rate in preteen and teenage girls. It's gone up like 60% in one demographic and 100% in the other demographic. The difference is that the people who are in that generation grew up with a false belief of beauty and a false belief of happiness and a false belief of what they should be. Now, this is a lot of stuff that falls into this one. Because on top of everything, you on top of like the idea that they're receiving way too much dopamine, that they're addicts, that they're totally detached from reality, that they're investing in a completely alternate alternate form of, of the universe. On top of all of that, what are they being hit with nonstop? Celebrities, Photoshop, beauty, like standards of beauty are out of control. The standards of beauty, I think we talked about on the podcast, I think it should be criminal for celebrities or anybody to put edited photos and video on social media and on the internet without stating that they're edited. How many girls want to look like Kylie Jenner? How many girls want to look like her friends? It's impossible for these girls to be 12, 13 year old. Think about what you look like at 12 and 13. What I look like at 13, pimples, bad haircuts, like the whole nine yards. If I'm comparing that with photoshopped beauty, of course I'm going to have a low self, uh, self-esteem. Of course I'm going to feel shitty about myself. And then, and then, as if that wasn't bad enough, Snapchat, Instagram, everything, your, your own phone. You have the ability to edit photos, put filters on photos, do all this stuff at a finger, at a, at a click. On my Instagram, almost every post I post has been edited with uh, the normal camera post. Like when you take a picture on your iPhone and you can click the edit, the magic edit or whatever, and it makes it, the colors kind of pop a little better. That's nothing crazy. But why wouldn't you do that? It makes it look better. Then you go to Instagram. Instagram has 20 filters to use. Why wouldn't you? No one has a clue. No one has a clue. It's so easy to edit beauty that there are Instagram models that are switching genders because they're so beautiful as a woman, even though they're a man, because of tools like Photoshop, because of tools like makeup and filters and whatever else. The real life person versus the alternate reality person could not be any more different. So for an 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old girl, that is impossible to hold up to. If you go to TikTok and you look at the TikTokers that are famous, and they're all preteen or they're all teenagers, they're using multiple filters, beautiful, bright, glowing teeth, perfect skin, not a blemish on their skin. 
like little sprinkles all over the screen, beautiful filters, airy, looks it looks amazing. Now imagine some 11, 12-year-old who doesn't know how to do the same doesn't know how to do all that and they post their own TikTok and they're comparing the two. Of course they're going to feel like shit. Of course. Of course they are. So now, now the thing we're addicted to, the thing that we cannot let go, the portal to the other reality, that other reality that we care about so much. Now, that portal is making us depressed and causing us serious mental health issues. How many people do you know deal with anxiety, deal with depression, deal with OCD? I know for me, it's a lot. Some of that stuff didn't even exist 15 years ago. It wasn't a thing. No one even talked about it. No one knew about it. Now... I would say the majority of people 12 to 20 years old are depressed or or anxious. I would say the majority, I'd go as far to say like 70% deal from OCD, anxiety, or depression. 100%. I'm not a psychologist. I I, I could ask, ask somebody, but that's just a guess. And when you think about why, all the answers are there. All the answers. On top of the... I got a feeling we're going to be saying on top of a lot because all this stuff is layers into each other. But we're a pack mentality. We are people who want to be loved. People who really care about how their pack views them. We've always been like that. James, what do you mean we haven't been like that? What the hell are you talking about? You ever heard of popularity? What is something that every single 12, 13, 14, 50-year-old wants to be? They want to be popular. Why? Why do they want to be popular? Because the popularity validates them. The popularity is a mirror. The popularity is their friends or their peers saying, you are a good person, so we like you. Thus, you must be good. Or that's how they're thinking. Thus, if everyone likes me, I must be good. I must have value. What happens? What happens when that validation is tied to your Twitter or your Facebook? And instead of getting the thoughts of 25 of your classmates who know you, you're getting the thoughts of a thousand people on Twitter who have never met you. And half of them aren't even real profiles. What happens then? What happens when half of those tweets are telling you to kill yourself? Or they're making fun of your skin color? Are making fun of your face, or making fun of your hair, or making fun of a blemish, or making fun of something. What happens then when the mirror that used to be so small is now so big, and it's somehow intertwined to all all that dopamine? It's intertwined to all of that stuff, and so now this thing that you can't get away from—it's like the story of a. Uh, Narcissus or whatever, when he's staring into the pond, looking at his own beauty. What if that pond is looking back at you and telling you that you ain't shit? But you can't stop looking at that pond. You need that pond. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for you. At all. It's crazy right now 
how we're setting up this society, how we're setting ourselves up. And it's one of those things where can't, and we'll talk about this, we'll talk about this, but it's one of those things where there is no reverse. You think people are just going to simultaneously agree to quit using Facebook or Twitter or Instagram? No. We're here. Like I said, I first got Facebook in 2005. People born in 2005 are 15 years old. 15-year-olds probably had Facebook very, very young, probably had a cell phone very, very young, probably have been looking at a screen for four to seven to eight hours a day their entire life. Oh, James, no one's looking at a screen that much. Have you been... Well, again, I was going to say a restaurant. How many times have you seen a baby or a toddler pacified by that screen, pacified by YouTube, pacified by whatever baby shark, whatever song, whatever movie they have playing on their iPad? That's their pacifier. They know that from an age of six months old, a year old. They know the security... They know that they can trust that screen. And then when they're what? 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. They're given their own screen. An unregulated portal to a whole different world. What can they find on YouTube? Anything they want. What can they find on Google? Anything they want. What can they find on Twitter? On Facebook? On Instagram? Anything. Who can they be? Anybody. What does that sound like? That sound like Second Life? It does sound like Second Life. And we haven't even got into the nefarious reasons of social media. The nefarious reasons of media. You know, nefarious organizations, uh, you know, illegal activity, stuff like that. And really, that stuff we probably won't get much into because anything is going to have nefarious implications, right? Anything is going to be like that. So... We're, we're trying to have a broad conversation about social media here, so I don't want to get too broad with those kind of nefarious activities. I want to keep this more into normal people, normal everyday life, and how it's affecting everyone. We're almost to the hour mark here, and so I'm going to kind of wrap up this first half. So we're kind of in the half. We're kind of in a halfway here. So coming up in the next half of the next hour, we're going to talk about the actual simulation. The actual idea of a simulation. And what do, what do I mean when I call things a simulation? And are we already in the simulation? It kind of tags into the Truman Show stuff, kind of tags into the alternate reality stuff. Then, we'll talk about the disinformation. The media cycle, where we're getting our news, uh, tribalism, democracy, your friends and family turning against you, or you against them. We'll talk about the idea of sex and dating and how that's also a societal crutch that's been kind of picked apart by media. We'll talk about civilization as a whole. We'll talk about where the hell are we going? What's it going to look like? What do we do? We'll talk about AI and not like spooky AI. We'll talk about the AI that's already here. And then we'll talk about one of my favorite theories I think it was Elon Musk might have been who who I heard uh, coin it. The theory that we are not the end. The theory that we're in the middle stage of the caterpillar, the cocoon, and the moth, or the butterfly. We're somewhere in the middle. 
And maybe we're the cocoon. Maybe we're ushering in that next generation of this simulation kind of AI, half human, half half whatever else it is. And listen, what we're talking about is heavy. And we're trying to glance over a lot of it at the same time. Because I don't want to make this a 40-hour thing. You have to understand that when we talk about half human, half AI, I'm not talking about the damn Terminator. I'm not talking about half robots walking around. Even though things like Neuralink are a thing, which is basically cyborgs, I'm talking more about this shift, this merger of real life and fake life. That's what I'm talking about with, with, with this like half human, half not. We're already kind of there. I think that's what's scaring people. And people think like, you know, it, it sounds too much. But I think it might be the opposite where it might not sound enough. We're, we're, we're not in control anymore. You know, like, we're not there. It's already happening. It's already here. This idea that, ah, nah, man, AI will never take over. Nah, we're good, we're good, we're good. We we already talked about that. AI already has you. Our AI already controls you. AI already is selling you things. It's showing you what you want to... It, it's already outsmarted. You've already lost the game. You've, you've already... You know, like, you're, you're playing chess, but you don't... You're done. You're moving your pawns around, but you got no knights. You got no rooks. You got no queen. You're dead on the board. And it, it, it is scary. And we'll get into kind of solutions and, and, and what it's going to look like in the next hour. But thank you for listening to this part one of The Social Dilemma presented by Macard Macard Anderson and Associates PLLC. Are you listening? Damn.